Hey there, and welcome back to Nature Boost. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Since working for MDC, I've seen some pretty wild wildlife. Bears, elk, snakes. But there is one elusive species I've sadly not had the pleasure to see. That is, until I met Mark Glenshaw. Hi, Mark. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks so much for having us. Mark is an award-winning naturalist who studies wildlife in St. Louis's Forest Park. But one resident of the park has been keeping Mark on his toes for 16 years. Since 2005, Mark has been observing Charles, a great horned owl who calls Forest Park his home. Over the course of the years, Mark has seen Charles court with females, raise owlets, and entrance the many visitors of Forest Park on the daily. Through public outreach and owl prowl tours, Mark has taught hundreds of people about Charles and great horned owls in general. I met up with Mark in early March, which happened to be right off breeding season, and Charles and his mate were raising two five-week-old owlets. There's the mom with one of the babies. Oh my gosh! Five minutes ago. You just took that. Nice. Wow. Charles is tucked away right now. He's in a tricky spot, but hopefully he will grace us with his more visible presence. To me, one of the most fascinating aspects of this story is its location. Forest Park is situated just minutes from downtown St. Louis. It's a little ironic that the first owl I see in the wild happened to be in one of Missouri's most populated areas. Forest Park is just under 1,300 acres, making it 500 acres larger than Central Park, New York City, and making Forest Park one of the largest urban parks in the United States. As a lifelong Missouri resident, I had no idea. I mean, I live in Jefferson City, but uh, I had no idea that that was here in St. Louis. Yes. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And there are other cities that are amazing cities, but not all of them have a place like Forest Park. Like, I love Chicago. Chicago is truly one of the great cities of the world. It doesn't have a place like Forest Park. And I've had people come here from Chicago, and they're like, uh, can I take this home with me? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it, it obviously is a pretty well-known place here. We've been here, and um, I mean, it's a gorgeous day here on March 1st, and so many people are out enjoying yes. this wonderful weather that we've had. So it's no it's no secret, that's for sure. No, no. But people also, one of the things I love about leading owl prowls, I'll have people that have lived not only in Missouri, but in the St. Louis area and know Forest Park very well, and they'll come away from an owl prowl and tell me I have a totally different understanding of the park or wow I've never been in this part of the park or I had no idea this was going on in Forest Park that you had all this amazing wildlife. You may haven't seen a great horned owl in the wild but I can guarantee you've heard its call. This owl's hoot is pretty famous and is a popular sound to use to create that ominous feeling in TV shows or movies. The great horned owl is also one of the most common owls across Missouri, being found statewide in many habitats from deep forests to urban areas like Forest Park. They're also one of the biggest owls found on this continent. Great horned owls are the third tallest owl in North America, between 18 and 25 inches tall. So a foot and a half to just over two feet tall. With that height comes a lot of weight. They're the second heaviest owl in North America, coming in at two to five pounds. The name gets a little confusing, that that middle part. Great, very clear. Horned, yes, you think horns, antlers. 
they have two things on top of their heads. These are not horns or antlers. This confusion is amplified with other owls, two of whom are migratory in Missouri, long-eared owl and short-eared owl, who, like the great horned owl, have two things on top of their heads, but they're not ears either. So what are they if they aren't antlers, horns, ears? They are groups of feathers, and these groups of feathers are called tufts. T-U-F-T-S. More technical term, good for your next game of Scrabble. A little too long for Wordle, I believe. Plumicorns. Plumicorns. Plumicorns is the spelling. And about 40% of owl species on the planet have tufts or plumicorns. Uh, sometimes called ear tufts. That's slightly less confusing than eared or horned, but still a little confusing. And these tufts are really interesting because while so many owls have them there are several theories about tufts and their purpose but there's not one theory that most scientists agree upon uh one theory is camouflage the tufts help break up their outline any hunters listening out there you know how important breaking up your outline is when you're trying to be camouflaged whether you're up in a deer stand or what have you another theory is that it might be a species identifier ah you're a great horned owl you're big and you have tufts oh you're big and have no tufts you're a barred owl another theory is that in silhouette in low light that owl with tufts is going to look like a big predator, mammal, cat, dog, uh, not in Missouri, but a wolverine, perhaps. So it might be intimidation through imitation. As big as male great horned owls are, females tend to be even larger. Mark explained that this species exhibits reverse sexual dimorphism, where females are slightly larger than males. The size difference may make it easier for the female to incubate or brood eggs and young. By being different sizes, adults may be able to specialize in different types of prey, too. So Charles is a big guy. And Charles has had five and now possibly six mates. And one of the things that's been fascinating about this is we've had different sized females. Two bigger than him, but not huge. Two huge and one small. His size may be a little smaller. And one of these females is over here. Oh, she's actually over here. With her babies. Is that what these people over here are watching too, that I'd is, assume? These are all part of the community of people that have grown around these owls and some people have been watching these owls for years some of them for days months hey joe so the tree on the left do you see the large hollow in that tree oh my gosh yeah in that tree is the female we don't know if it's sophie from last year and her two youngsters and i'm happy to give you guys a oh my scoop gosh, I see them. <laughs> there you go your first, congrats, your first time seeing an owl. Oh I love pe God. seeing people see their first owl. That is amazing. And they're really in that little hole in the tree. That's a big hole. That's a big I owl. Big, yeah. Oh, my God. Small for you and me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, look at how oh, perfectly she just moved. Off. Oh, my gosh, Mark. It looks like she's looking right at me. Oh, they, they will look right through you. It's amazing. So it's getting probably about five o'clock or, or later at this point. So yep, the, in, in essence, these are nocturnal. Obviously, owls are night owls. They are night owls. <laughs> but I've learned many words studying owls, yeah. including the word crepuscular. That means you're an animal that's active at the edge of day and night. I did not pick this out of a hat. I said, okay, when sunset, they generally start to get active about an hour or so before sunset. 
and let's come out and watch them start to wake up and they stretch and they groom and they call and let's see how that will manifest itself tonight it's so interesting that they're just now beginning their day yes for the for the yeah. most part female may have been a little active feeding the youngsters during the day we, we don't we can't see the youngsters super well right now but they're well over half adult size and they're five weeks old and are they they they're really fluffy whenever crazy fluffy yeah. crazy fluffy and you see how big she is and you can see let's see let me put my binos yeah, on i mean she is right like She's clear little, as day in that hole little tucked away um the outlets are a little tucked away i should say but they are massively large let me see if i can pull up a photo from yesterday and how long do the owlets stay with the mom well they stay with their parents for a very long time so here we are on march 1st and these owlets are five weeks old so they hatched in late january and the female started nesting in late december she started she was on an egg on december 19th to the best of my knowledge so here's one of the babies yesterday. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, they're so cute, they're... but I think what I find so funny about raptors is that they're with their beaks, they all, and their eyes, they all kind of look very stern. There is an element of that. Yeah. And there is a difference between I'm looking stern versus, oh, I am stern. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. And so one of the things, big part of what I do, whether it's a prowl or just coming out here, is, you know, if I see someone who's too close to the owls, explain to them why they shouldn't be so close, that that's a stress on the owl. And these are very powerful predators. These guys eat everything from insects and small rodents and small birds to not so small things. They eat raccoons. Oh, I didn't know they, they ate. They eat other birds of prey. Two weeks ago, first the female and then the male, each of them went for a great blue heron. Those are massive. Twice the size of a great horned owl, powerful predators in their own right, and the herons were terrified. I've been into wildlife all my life, but I had no idea that great horned owls were apex predators until I started to study them and it just blew my mind. Now it looks like Charles might be popping out a little. Oh my, I mean, he's just sitting there. He's just sitting there. Now he wasn't 20, 30 minutes ago. He was deep within that branch which is actually hollowed and he has popped out of a different hole than the one he went into that is this charles this is the first owl i've seen well i mean besides Third. his mate yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but now you but really see really um, and this is a very fascinating spot and and not entirely typical they they generally will not perch on a big big thick branch like that but he was in that branch. That branch is hollowed out. Oh, I see that it's hollowed out, yeah. Yeah. Now it's very interesting. There's so much to say about this branch, this tree. Charles, as I mentioned, has had several mates. The first mate I saw him with was Sarah, the most amazing female great horned owl I'll ever see. And they nested every year that I saw them together. I saw them together for nine and a half years and they had 23 babies in that time. Oh, God bless Sarah. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this tree has three hollow branches and Sarah nested in one of them twice and the other time 
the other branch that she used, she used it four times, including three years in a row. Wow. And the branch that he's on, the branch that he was in, that was never used as a nest. Now, they would perch there sometimes, but since Sarah's unfortunate death in 2015, Charles and his mates have not used this tree for perching and nesting, and it's been totally overrun by raccoons. Mm. Well, in mid-January, he came back into this area, and he eventually got into that hollow, and my jaw was dropped, and even watching him today, it's still dropping, because prior to January 16th, 2022, he had not perched in that branch. Look at him stretch his wings. Oh my gosh. He had not perched in that branch in six, six and a half years. What do you think prompted him to go back to it? I have no idea, and I wish he would answer my emails. <laughs> the, and this is a perfect example of how much they keep mixing it up. They never stop. So, Charles. Oh my gosh, I just heard him hoot. And he can see the female, so he's going to hoot even more to her. By hooting, he's declaring his territory. He's defending his territory. But he's also calling with her to communicate with her and to bond with her. And this pair bonding is very important. So these owls have to nest so early because the young grow in a very fascinating way. We've mentioned how they're five weeks old, they're over half adult height and weight, and another three to four weeks, they're gonna be 80% adult height and weight. But here's the curveball. Imagine a human child with the body of a teenager, but the abilities of a toddler. I don't like the way that sounds, Mark. No. <laughs> and, and Jill occasionally I'll have parents joke and say, oh, that sounds like my sophomore in high school. Oh, sure. But then I remind them that they're probably not bathing and changing and otherwise working with their teenager like they are a toddler. You know, that their teenager can eat their own food. They don't have to have mom and dad cut it up. And Charles is most likely getting ready to fly. And they fly beautifully. Oh my. With a four to five foot wingspan. And as you just heard, that massive bird fly by us, he made no sound. So come with me. We want to, he's flown close to us, or we want to stand away yeah, from of him. of course, of course. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Let's head on over there with you. During my owl prowl with Mark, we saw Charles and his mate fly a few times, which was just jaw-dropping. Mark says great horned owls have a wingspan of up to five feet, my exact height, which is funny and a little jarring to think about. But even more fascinating, these owls are capable of silent flight, making no discernible noise when they take off. It's one of those things that sometimes people are slightly skeptical about. And I, I understand this because, you know, you see a robin when you go to get the mail or pick up your newspaper or whatever, go to your car. Doesn't sound like, you know, 737 taking off at Lambert or Casey International. I would encourage you to listen to birds fly. Most birds are pretty loud when they fly. And these owls, not all owls, but most owls, fly silently due to the construction and material of their feathers. All of their feathers are incredibly soft. The, their flight feathers are even softer. It makes velvet feel like sandpaper. And 
that softness allows the feathers when they move, when they, when they fly, when they do anything, feathers are moving against each other. That softness helps dampen the sound. And then their flight feathers have spacing, a very uh, loose serrated spacing on the trailing edges and very tight serrated spacing on the leading edge. And those serrations allow air to pass and through, pass through and over without making sound, without making turbulence. Turbulence makes sound. So I have had Charles and some of the others fly one to three feet from me with a four to five foot wingspan and you hear nothing. Now the silent flight gives them two huge advantages. It allows them to approach their prey undetected by sound. They could still be heard or seen or smelled, uh, not heard, but smelt or seen. But it also allows the owls to hear while they fly and adjust because they've heard something change and they can hear it because they're flying silently and then adjust in flight. There's a video from 12 years ago, uh, winter 2011, of Charles flying from roughly that area to over here, about 50, 60 yards away. And he had been watching that spot for about 20 to 30 minutes. And from his behavior, I knew that he was hunting. He was definitely had something that he was keeping his eye on. And he flies over there. And as he... That's so beautiful. I'll never get tired of that. Well said. I, I haven't. I have 16 years of evidence that, no, I'm not going to get sick of it. And as he's coming closer to the ground, yes, he's slowing down, but he's also making these subtle little adjustments. And bam nails a small rodent yeah so when that rodent if that rodent moved and it very likely did he could hear that because he was flying silently think of not even somebody sprinting not even running think of somebody jogging think of how much noise they make oh yeah i think of myself a bit (laughs) feet pounding breath going even if you don't have headphones in you got to make sure that's not a bus about to run you over oh no yeah. yeah yeah so imagine being able to jog, run, sprint. Occasionally I'll have people say, oh, owls fly very quietly. And I remind them that there's a difference between quietly and silence. And nothing. And absolutely nothing. I've seen him this whole time kind Mm -hmm. of really turning his head. Yeah. Tell us about, I think there's a misconception that people think owls can turn their head 360 degrees. They cannot. At times, owls can turn their heads just around on the horizontal axis, just around three quarters of the way, 270 degrees. And on the horizontal, pardon me, on the vertical axis, they can turn their head not quite 180 degrees. And what makes that possible is incredibly flexible and more of them uh, backbones. So we have seven vertebrae in our neck, owls have 14. I don't know why that kind of creeps me out a little bit. Now, the other key thing is that their air and blood pathways have evolved so that when they turn their head, they don't cut off their blood and oxygen supply. Like, even if our skeletons allowed us to turn our heads, we'd go, oh, I just choked myself out. (laughs) So, why did they do that? Well, you see how big his eyes are? Yeah. So, he's a little under two feet tall. And his eyes are as big as yours and mine and Dan's. Uh-huh. An average owl, their eyes make up 5% of their body weight. Oh my gosh. Average human be- being, our eyes make up 0.02% of our body weight. That's crazy. 
Now, you see the eye cups on our binoculars? Yeah. Well, they have a bony ring around their eyes, kind of like the eye cups on our binoculars, mm -hmm. called the sclerotic ring. And between their very large eyes and the sclerotic ring, they cannot move their eyes from side to side and up and down. They have no peripheral vision. And that's why they're allowed, they've kind of adapted to... Adapted to being able to turn their head. So to look behind us, you and I have to turn around, but I can stand here with my head fixed as it is right now, see Charles, see you, see Dan, see people over there, see the gnats flying around us, all without moving my head. So life is about trade-offs. <laughs> that it is, that it is, very well said. We'll have more with Mark and the Forest Park Owls after this break. Picture your town in spring. Trees with white flowers bloom, but trouble grows fast and thorny. Calorie pear trees have cross-pollinated into a nightmare. Weak wood topples near homes and power lines. Also known as Bradford Pear or Cleveland Select, they quickly overtake fields and parks, displacing native plants and animals. Pull, cut, spray to stop the invasion in your outdoor zone. Buy native trees. Join the fight with MissouriConservation.org. And welcome back to Nature Boost, where we're talking with naturalist Mark Glenshaw about Charles, the majestic great horned owl that lives in St. Louis's Forest Park. At the time I spoke with Mark, Charles and his mate were raising two owlets that Mark named Betty and Sydney in honor of Betty White and Sydney Poitier. Like all babies, they require a lot of maintenance. Both parents work very hard, but doing very different things. The female is with the youngsters, keeping them safe. Mm -hmm. At this age, and as we're getting into warmer weather, she doesn't need to keep them warm, but she still needs to keep them safe. They are completely helpless. Charles is doing all of the hunting. Growth rate we've talked about, that needs a lot of food. And remember the female's bigger, so on a given day she needs more food than him. So he's doing all this food acquisition, hunting for everyone. What does that mean for him? That means he needs even more food. Right, because he's exerting so much energy hunting for his family. Exactly. So males will go into a hunting overdrive. Owls store prey, it's a natural instinctive behavior. And males with eggs and youngsters will just hunt and catch as much as they can. Okay, I'm sorry, Mark, I'm gonna have to stop you right here. We, you have been watching Charles, this owl, for over 15 years, yep. 16 years, 16 years. 16 years. You have watched him help raise how many young, you said? 23? 23 was Sarah. And then we had a real gap after Sarah died. Not for lack of trying. Charles got a new mate a few months after Sarah died named Olivia. And she did not nest. She did not pick a place and lay eggs. And she got replaced because she started spending time away from Charles. She did not listen to her Tammy Wynette records, Stand By Your Man. Olivia was a small female, about his size, maybe a touch smaller, and she got shoved out in April of 2016 by a larger, more aggressive female. Now, I knew Charles and Sarah having 23 young in 10 consecutive nesting seasons was very special, and all of this just underlined how special that was. Danielle arrives on the scene, and they, mated became a pair and she nested where you're seeing this female nest and actually sarah nested there in 2008 and 2012 and sadly 
at a key time in 2020, the eggs about to hatch or just had hatched, the nest failed. Uh, raccoons got into the nest. Oh. So Danielle, about a month after the nest failed, just disappeared. I haven't seen Danielle in almost two years. And Charles was single for the longest time I ever saw him, for months. Finally, he, very long story, very short, he got a new mate, Sophie, last year, and she nested in that space, and they had two Alets. So that became Alets 24 and 25, okay. and now currently with the Alets, Betty and Sydney, that makes 26 and 27. Charles has fathered 27 owls. He has done this nearly 30 times. <sighs> I just am exhausted listening to that. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. I, one, one way I kind of put this into context, just with Charles and Sarah, I'm one of six kids. My parents had us in 10 years. In a little under 10 years, Charles and Sarah had 23, almost four times as many. I can't. I just, I don't even, I'm kind of speechless about that. That's insane. That's insane. But that's the owl world, I guess. That is the owl world. And so these <laughs> babies take so long for those abilities to catch up with their bodies. That's why great horned owls have to nest so early. So again, think of the, think of a human child with the body of a teenager and the abilities of a toddler. And parents out there, be grateful that your five-year-old has the body of a five-year-old and the abilities of a five-year-old and the body of a 12-year-old and the abilities of a 12-year-old. They're not like huge, giant yeah. babies. Yeah. yeah. And so if all goes well, these outlets will be here until late summer, early fall. They leave, they disperse, going out to find their own territories, find a mate, and the parents start all over again they don't even get a week for like vacation it's there they go okay that all was right. our break back to work <laughs> all right yeah let's do it again let's do it again oh so i mean imagine parents out there having two to three children a year great horn owls average two to three youngsters raising them to say the age of 16 17 and then starting all over again so let me ask you this do i don't know if there'd be any way of you knowing this but will there will their offspring stay around here or I, I would... excellent question most likely not very close by they have to find a territory that's unoccupied i see and great horned owls while they don't migrate overall with very very few exceptions this dispersal is very key it can be very close as close as hey this works and mom and dad aren't going to give me grief and it can be quite far away. Dispersal can be one to three miles. It can be over a thousand miles. Generally averages 50 plus miles. Okay. And dispersal is very important. It helps the prey populations recover. Imagine hosting Thanksgiving and no one leaves. You're going to be going to the grocery store a lot. And it also allows the gene pool to spread out. Hmm. That, yes, we are not related. Let's become a pair right. and have... Right. healthy babies that will spread out further. So dispersal, it's a bittersweet process. The owlet's own hormone levels will encourage them to disperse. The parents are not shy about further encouraging dispersal. They reach a period in Missouri, generally around the midsummer, where they stop feeding them. It's time to go out on your own. Yes. Any of you listening who have, say, a 25-year-old at home, I would implement that policy yesterday. <laughs> 
Mark, I want to know a little bit of your background. You've been documenting and observing Charles since 2005. Yep. What made you want to come to Forest Park and do this adventure in this area? Excellent question. Let's let's head up and take a look at the nest because we might be able to see more of the babies <gasps> while mom's out of the nest. I'll follow you for that. There you go. That is a key question, Jill, because this is not something they just roll out of bed one day and say, hey, I'm going to go study some owls. No. This began with two very key and very organic seeds. One is that... I've always been interested in wildlife, ever since I was a very, very young boy. That interest has never gone away, but I found in the early 2000s that interest really coming up to the forefront in a way it hadn't for some time. And I thought, well, where can I study wildlife close to my home? And I moved to St. Louis in uh, 1995 to go to school here, and I've always lived close to Forest Park, that's close to where I went to school, and I thought, well, I can study the wildlife in Forest Park. And so I started to come to Forest Park, and I just fell in love with the park and its wildlife because it has so much wildlife. And I knew that there were owls here. And while I knew very little about owls, I can never emphasize how little I knew about owls, I knew enough to know that they're really hard to find. I had seen an owl once before in my life. I was 19 years old and thrilled to see that owl, and I had never seen one. Because they're so well camouflaged, they're mostly active at night, and they fly as we experienced, fast and silently. So I thought, well, that's cool. I'm never going to see them. Well, one day I'm walking home through the park, and it's around sunset, that key time, and I hear this hooting coming from a tree that I'd walked right past. And I'd been looking and listening, and the sun had set quite a bit by then. And I'm hearing this hooting. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's an owl. And I go back to that tree, because that's where the sound was coming from, and there in that tree are two great horned owls, who I later named Charles and Sarah. And oh my gosh, so I'm seeing owls only for the second time in my life, seeing them for the first time in Forest Park, and that first sighting was really hard to beat. In 20 to 30 minutes, I saw them fly. Before they flew, I saw them hoot together. And when owls hoot together, male and female hoot together, it's called a duet. Romantic. Very romantic, (laughs) and also very practical. It's this beautiful vocal and visual display. It's haunting sounds, these beautiful motions. Then they flew several times. You saw Charles fly. You saw, well, maybe the bit of her flying. Powerful, ethereal, graceful. Yes. If that wasn't enough, the owls provided a cherry on top moment. And this all happened in 20 to 30 minutes. Cherry on top moment was one of the owls flying after, chasing after a great blue heron, a bird twice its size. The heron was absolutely terrified. I was hooked. And I thought, what do I know about owls? Practically nothing. Time to hit the books. It was that sighting that sparked Mark's interest and prompted him to start his research and visit Forest Park more and more in search of the owls. So if we look, I will hold that for you. Oh, thank you, Mark. And you can see. Oh my, they're so little. Isn't that what amazing? You, what do you think they're thinking? Like, I mean, wh- where's food? They, where's food? Yeah, that's what's <laughs> that? Right. What's that? One of the things we love about the owls is their curiosity. The entire world is new to them. Yeah. And they are just so incredibly curious. And that curiosity gets us a little worried sometimes because 
yeah, curiosity can lead to good things and it can also lead to scary things. Yeah. But look at how huge they are. They're so big. Actually, I was I'm surprised now that I see them both clearly, how big they are in, in their little nest over there. So beautiful. And you, Charles, again, I'm very biased, but I have seen many other owls. Charles has a insane physical beauty and amazing, beautiful hoot. I love that we're standing here watching, and even even if I couldn't hear him, I think I could still tell that he was hooting because he kind of moves his body a little bit. Well said, Jill. It's a full body motion. We can sit here and say hello, good evening, how are you, without doing anything except right. moving our lips. Yeah. Hooting is a full body motion. Now, another thing about hooting, you see the white patch on his neck? I do. That's yeah. called a guler sack, and they all have that when as the white guler sack as they become adults. Guler, G-U-L-A-R, sack with no K, listeners at home. And the guler sack is what makes the hoot, but there's a curveball at the end. So that beautiful sound, here it comes. With time and experience, you learn how to predict hoots, just watching their behavior. That gorgeous, powerful sound is made by the guler sac inflating with air, air moving across the vocal cords, the curveball. When they hoot, their bill is closed. I noticed that well earlier. Well yeah. done. Whenever I, I was watching him through the binoculars, how fascinating that is that making that sound without even opening his mouth. Yes, and in a more quiet part of the world, call of a male great horned owl can be heard over a mile away even here in forest park now here's another big factoid about a forest park the total number of visitors the park gets each year 13 million oh my God. population of missouri around six so even with all these people in forest park i've heard his hoot 200 300 500 yards away it's that loud I just find it so fascinating. I think there's this limitation or this belief that people have that you have to go far away to experience nature. We are literally like right in the heart of St. Louis right now in, in Forest Park. And I mean, it's this fabulous, fabulous landscape. And my first owl that I'm seeing in the wild is in a large city like yeah. in Missouri, yeah. which I think is just so funny. Exactly. And that's, and you know, just in the St. Louis area, I have seen them all over the place. And to people who haven't seen an owl or they've only heard one or had a brief sighting, trust me, owls are one of those things you start scraping the surface and you realize, oh, they're all over the place and they've been here all this time. So let's talk about that. For people who are going out on a hike um, or out in nature or they're camping, are there things people should be looking for in order to spot them? Because I mean, like we said, if I didn't have you here with me, I'd be wondering, what, where is it? I don't know, I, I'm, I have no clue. And even when we saw the female. Yes, and the female, yeah, exactly. She was where? so perfectly camouflaged, it was insane. So are there certain things that people should look for in order to see them in the wild? Definitely. One of the big things is the shape. So in addition to leading, giving lectures on the owls, I also lead tours that were like we're doing tonight, owl prowls. I led 96 owl prowls in 2021, set a new record. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I'll never forget an owl prowl years ago. Charles was up in the quartet conifers and this lady said, oh, wow, he looks like a big pine cone. And I remember thinking, yes, brilliant, write that down. Because looking at Charles, notice that 
conical vertical shape. Yeah. And look at any and all of these trees. Doesn't matter the size of the tree, size of the tree branch. Branch tree branches mostly go out horizontally or at an angle. Well, the owls do everything, as we see Charles here, so sitting up nice and tall. So you want to look for that pine cone shape that's contrasting with that horizontal or angular branch. Now, the other thing to do is listen for the owls hooting. And here's a very technical bit of advice. If you hear them that away, go that away. <laughs> and if you hear them this away, go this away. Occasionally I'll have someone say, oh, I hear these owls, but I can never find them. Are you looking for them? No. That would be a good first step. <laughs> yes. Journey of a thousand miles begins with yeah, yeah. the first step. Right. Also listen for other animals reacting to the owls. Okay, what, how do you mean? Warning calls. The downside of being a predator, never mind an apex predator like a great horned owl, is you don't have a lot of friends. And this tree over here on the right. I saw a bird fly up. And listen, you'll hear cheep, cheep, cheep. Right. That's an American robin making a warning call about Charles. And they will not only make warning calls, and not just robins, but other birds will make warning calls, and they will harass. There's the fluff up again. They will harass the owls. They'll fly at them, around them. They'll call at them. They'll even hit them and buzz them. Really? All of these behaviors are called mobbing. And mobbing is a great way not only to find owls, but any and all predators. It could be a hawk, a snake, your neighbor's cat, or an owl. A big part of mobbing is distracting predators from their young, teaching the young about predators, and it's also a social alarm call. Hey everyone, danger close. Right. I mean, this is like if you saw a polar bear on your block, you would get on your neighborhood group, whatever it oh, is, yeah. and be like, oh, there's a polar bear at 2012 Maple Street. Right, right watch out yeah so this is in essence the nature uh yes. part of that yes. nature's version of that nature's social network and just with robins never mind other birds i have seen charles kill and eat adults i've seen him stalk and find nests and eat nestlings and fledglings this is a very serious threat this is not a game of tag this yeah. is life and death nature can be scary sometimes it, it, it can be scary. <laughs> it can, and wild animals do wild animal things. things yes oh yeah and make connections make comparisons but also keep in mind that yes this is a wild animal i mean and there's so much even now 16 years that i don't understand why is charles using that hollow again I have no idea. You can speculate, but you'll never know. I'll never know. Yeah. And he keeps not answering my emails. <laughs> and again, that you know, it can be frustrating, but also fascinating. This was a great experience that it was so much more than I could have ever asked for. Thank so you. I truly enjoyed myself. Do you have anything else you'd like to add about Great Horned Owls or about anything at Forest Park? Any any final thoughts? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> I, I do. I, you know, we were talking about finding owls. And I just to tie it in with something I mentioned earlier, that collaborative piece is very important with finding owls. What you see in your neighborhood or your local park is important. It's significant. It's only a piece of the pie. Talk to your neighbors, your fellow park goers, and 
ask them, what do you see? Where do you see it? When do you see it? What time of day? What time of year? And share with them. It's a great way to be more neighborly. And you might even become friends with someone that you wouldn't have met otherwise. So it's the collaborative piece is really, really key on the scientific level and the observation level, but also just a good human thing to do. And I encourage anyone and everyone to go out and look for owls. You want to dress in dark muted colors. You want to watch them from safe distances. These are wild, powerful predators. You don't want to uh, get them stressed or angered or anything like that. Um, one way I think of it is with great horned owls, I would not mess with a raccoon. I really don't want to anger an animal that eats raccoons. If you're not going to fight the middle way, don't fight the heavy way. <laughs> Very well said, I agree. So just with Forest Park, 13 million people visit the park every year and they go to museums and have picnics and everything else. But no matter what we do in Forest Park, we end our time in the same way. We go home and we've just spent the past two hours in the owl's home and it's very important to be a good guest. You might have the deed to the property, but you're still in that animal's home. If you'd like to schedule an owl prowl with Mark in Forest Park, shoot him an email at m-g-l-e-n-s-h-a-w at gmail.com and be sure to follow his Twitter account at Forest Park Owls to see his amazing videos and pictures of Charles, his mate, and Betty and Sydney. I want to thank Mark again for this interview. I learned so much and had a wonderfully fun time at Forest Park. And it really just goes to show that nature can be found everywhere. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation, urging you to get your daily dose of the outdoors. So do people kind of know you as the Forest Park Owl Guy then? I prefer the term the Owl Man. <laughs> <laughs>